Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 76, and in today's episode, we will continue on in the reading of my first book called Hosting His Presence, and uh, this will be chapter one of the continuation. So I want to thank you for taking the time to tune in. I pray that this blesses you and challenges you, uh, causes you to spend time in fellowship with the Lord in wonder and amazement. So, beginning in chapter 1 of Hosting His Presence. Chapter 1. What is the presence of God? Throughout the Bible, God shows Himself uniquely. His presence manifests in many ways. He may walk in the cool of the day in the garden, as the three visitors with Abraham, or as a burning bush to Moses. He may be a cloud by day and fire by night, or in the person of Jesus Christ. He could show up at Pentecost as the 120 people in the upper room waited for him to be released. God chooses how, when, and where he will be seen. God speaks to Moses and in his mercy says, No one can look upon his face and live. Exodus 33.20 God's presence is beautiful, majestic, holy, empowering, and terrifying. Recall the Israelites at Mount Sinai. They begged for God to speak to Moses and intercede for them lest they die. The holiness of God, or other than-ness, is so unlike anything we know that the impact it would have on our imperfect flesh would cause us to crumble. The presence of God is not defined or confined to just one type of experience. Throughout revival history, God manifests His presence through many different demonstrations. Tears, laughter, falling, kneeling, running, standing, and tongues are all manifestations of His presence, which may incite the receiver to some physical action or inaction. As encouraging and uplifting it can be to visit these moves of God, it is important to remember that God is not confined to doing things the way he has in the past. Recall Moses striking the rock for water when he was supposed to only speak to it. Numbers twenty eleven. We cannot rely upon what has worked in times past. We hunger for our Father's touch. We hunger for His presence, but we allow Him to determine the mechanism by which He manifests Himself. I believe God does honor the hunger for certain experiences. 
when he does it for one person, it's an indicator that it's available for anyone. God spoke to me one day and said, Your people try to make recipes, but I want to make sons. I think this perfectly describes humanity throughout the ages. When we find what works in one season, we want to duplicate it in others. We lean on strategies, mechanisms, and plans. Throughout the Bible, we see that God is strategic with systems and structures. However, the moment we rely on and lean into these tools, we have crippled or even worse, disqualified ourselves from receiving what God is planning. He knows that if we receive in these postures, it will negatively reinforce this flawed perspective. God is not looking for better plans and strategies. He's looking for sons and daughters to see the reality of who He is and who they are in Jesus Christ. They become willing to walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit's prompting. Being fully convinced about who He is allows us to be fully convinced of who we are in Him. Many of us struggle with understanding our purpose and destiny. While we all have a predestined purpose, we must make our heart's desire to enfold ourselves in Him. Like a baker enfolds yeast into the loaf, making it rise, so too will He raise us up into the intention He has for us. The restlessness we so often struggle with causes much turmoil in our hearts and minds. Jesus didn't say what Martha chose was bad or evil. He said what Mary had chosen was the better thing at his feet. We get so encumbered by doing that we forget that knowing is what he desires. John 17. I may be eager to run and accomplish. I might worry that if I don't run, I could miss his direction. Do we not think that if the creator of heaven and earth intends for us to do a certain thing, that he is able to accomplish that work? A righteous man's steps are ordered of the Lord. Psalm 37, 23. Not only do they have direction and sequence, but they also have function. All these things come from the Lord. We have no ability to bring things into alignment, yet we work so hard to bring about results. He had the crowd of his lifetime regarding ministry. He was at the pinnacle of his reach and potential influence. What did he do? He told them, Eat my flesh and drink my blood. John six fifty three. He spoke those words to thousands of people who, upon hearing, would consider him so blasphemous that they would turn and leave him that very day, never to return. 
He didn't regather them, give them an explanation, or lick their wounds. He simply turned to his disciples and asked, Will you leave also? John 6, 67. Many successful ministers would call this professional ministerial suicide, but God called it necessary and appropriate. Offending the religious spirit is something that Jesus did regularly. We all wrestle with a religious spirit. I believe that when you find yourself in a religiously offensive situation, you are at a crossroad, a God-purposed crossroad. What will I do next? Will I step back offended, hurt, frustrated, or angry? Will I accept this thing that rises up inside me as truth? Or rather, can I step back and ask, God, what are you wanting me to see? I truly believe that if we can see outside the paradigm of what we believe to be true, that God desires to grow us in ways we've only imagined. What does God desire to speak and show us that we have yet to see or understand? Does he wish to show us something we thought we had figured out? Does he wish to turn upside down our thinking and theology? This doesn't mean we live in question. It means we live pliable to what God wants to teach us. I'm immediately reminded of the table of the money changers in John 2 verse 15. Zeal for God's house will overcome him. The table or structure and thinking the basis upon which things rest is the platform for everything we put upon it. Was Jesus declaring his desire to turn your thinking upside down? Jesus wants us to live holy and acceptable lives. Of course, the law of Moses was an appropriate standard of living in the eyes of the holy God. Jesus was telling us, I've come to do a new thing. He came to live as one of us while still being God. He came to redeem that which was lost. He came to represent us back to the Father. He conquered the effects of sin through his death, and he empowered us through his life. I believe that what he wanted to do within us is to change our thinking. Just pause for one moment and analyze all the moments in your life where if your thinking had been more whole, how different your story could be. Do not use that moment for condemnation or sadness. God is an expert realigner and redeemer. No story is too twisted or skewed to be redeemed and recaptured. It's our thinking that causes us so many problems. Sometimes the most dangerous thinking is religious thinking. I assuredly believe that what Jesus was out to recapture was our thinking as well as our souls. The Greek word for repentance is metanoia, 
which means to change the way you think. When John the Baptist was put into prison, from, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 4.17 Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience, so for him to use the sequence, Kingdom of God, would have been hard for them to receive. The Jewish person, out of respect, did not write God's name. Mark, Luke, and John call this the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent. Why? The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. So I need you to change the way you think. This is not to lessen the importance of repentance, but I believe that the reason for repentance has been lost to a religious system and structure. Repentance is about the realigning of our heart to God's heart and denying ourself in order to follow Him through Jesus Christ. In John 3, 3, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. The kingdom of God is both near and at hand. So to be able to see it, you must be born again by changing how you think, by belief and alignment in the person of Jesus. In the Old Testament, God spoke to his people saying, I have enough blood and fat of bulls and rams, Isaiah one eleven. As a man believes or thinks in his heart, so is he, Proverbs 23.7. Let me propose that one way we offer our hearts to Jesus is by renewed thinking. Renewed thinking is to shift our heart's mind toward him. In doing so, we take ourselves off the throne in our own hearts and crown Him the only one worthy. Laying hold of the presence of King Jesus is the only thing that makes us capable of participating in such a task. When we stop to consider the presence of God, our heart, soul, and mind aligns with the Spirit of God and we become more in tune with what the Father is saying and doing. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing, and say only what I hear the Father saying. John 5.19 and John 12.49-50 If we fellowship with His presence often, we can develop such a familiarity with that presence that we begin to move as He moves, think as He thinks, and do as He does. I believe this is what Paul is calling for in Galatians 5.25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We can find in that reality a success we've never uncovered, a peace we've never experienced, and a rest we've never known. We can have desire tethered to purpose. Have you ever found yourself overwhelmed with countless things to do, 
but the sheer number of tasks makes focusing on one nearly impossible. I've seen nature documentaries displaying this same problem. The sheer amount of prey makes it hard for the predator to focus on one animal. As the predator looks on in shock, completely overwhelmed, the prey makes its escape. By the Spirit of God, we can experience success, peace, and rest, even during seasons of high activity or no activity. God's presence gives us access to the untold resources of heaven. During Jesus' ministry, there were people who never received his healing touch. The lame man along the road that Peter told to rise and walk would have been living during Jesus' day, but Jesus never healed him. Everyone who interacted with Jesus was changed, but not everyone had an encounter. We can learn two things from this reality. First, we must learn where and to whom the Father is sending us. Jesus tells his disciples, It's better that I go, because if I do not go, the Comforter cannot come. John 16, 7. Since Jesus lived within the reality of being a man while remaining God, he lived under the governing principles he created within time and space. Being present in one space limits him from being present in a different space. Before you let yourself get offended that Jesus could be limited, revisit Mark 6 verse 5. For every person Jesus healed, there were many other people who were not afforded opportunities for that same encounter. We must be mindful of where the Father is sending us and who He is placing within our paths that very moment. I imagine Jesus, who remained so connected to the Father that whenever He walked by someone His Father had set up for Him, the Spirit bore witness in His heart. This was His encounter. Secondly, we must realize what is being made available when presence shows up. Whenever the presence of God is made known in a situation, it's an indicator that God is interested in doing something. In these moments, we must discern the will of the Father. This is not just to say we must come to understand by just perceiving situations. Rather, this could manifest in many different forms. We may hear the Father speak His intention, or we may get an impression of what is to come. We may get a vision, either physically or intangibly, in our mind. To discern God's intention is not one-sided, but rather multifaceted. I passionately believe that the Father wants to do things no eye has seen or ear has heard. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. For servants do not know what the master is doing. John 15, 15. This gives us unique insight into how our new relationship with the Lord brings about new benefits. As our relationship grows with our Father, 
He desires to show us things perhaps never available to us prior to intimacy. How will we steward this new permission? Will we be like the evil servant who buries his sum of money in the ground, keeping it safe? Matthew 25. Or will we use it and grow it? A very important lesson in this parable is that in the kingdom of God, the Father desires us to use that which is given to us personally. The evil servant wanted to keep safe what he had been given and not risk or jeopardize it. We may could interpret this in our day as playing it safe. When we think about what that servant did, it does not seem strange that he would want to safeguard his money. What's wrong with protecting what we've been given? In the kingdom of God, the expectation is growth and multiplication, not stagnancy or safety. This is not about God seeking a return on his investment. God is not a shrewd banker. He is love. It's about expansion of his kingdom. He is love and he is good. Therefore, the highest and best action is to spread and multiply that which is best, him. As you steward or grow what's been given to you, more will be given. Matthew twenty five twenty nine. As we put to work what God has entrusted to us, we become doorkeepers into the kingdom, ushering others into those pastures for their own encounter with Jesus. A great many Christians have decisioned their way into the kingdom, but fail to realize that his presence is readily available for them to encounter. His presence makes Christianity more real than they have ever experienced. It takes a reasoned approach to God into a experientially invested love affair. The presence of God invites you to experience Him in a fullness not available in any other way. Prayer Father, let us be one and so tethered to you that we get unhindered flow of fellowship with you. Help us to hear what you're saying and give us the courage to live without hesitation what you're speaking. Father, give us an awareness of your presence and the presence of your Son, Jesus. Grace us with an experience that makes you more real to us than ever before. We come humbly to your feet and acknowledge that without you, we are nothing. We desire a oneness with you unlike anything we have experienced. Take us into the place of communion and fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Allow our internal garden to flourish. Let rivers of life flow from within us to water the barren lands around us. Let your presence be the catalyst that takes us into new places and new depths with you. In Jesus' name, amen.
This concludes chapter one. And in the next episode, we will pick up in chapter two, titled Omnipresence and Manifest Presence. I pray this was a blessing. And until next time, God bless. If it means that I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with